0: And I'd love to introduce the wonderful Susan Folkler. (laughs) I'll take that. Thank you very much. Wow. Oops. Okay. I am feeling like a little self-conscious. This is a really hard act to follow tonight. I don't know. But I will try not to do any bloopers. I don't need to do that. (laughs) I'm good enough at that on my own without any help. Okay. Who? Well, I'm Susan. I'm one of the elders here at Blazing Fire. Um, I don't know about you all, but I just I just love the Christmas story, and I think it's become more and more meaningful to me over the years. Um, it's so familiar in some ways. It can get kind of stale and stagnant, um, so when when Brent first asked if I was interested in speaking tonight, my first response probably would have been, oh, no, someone else, I'm sure. But the Lord reminded me of something and um, brought to my memory that, I don't know, it was maybe three or four years ago, um, Russ and I, my husband and I, went um, to our old church, our old, old church, like a couple churches back, which is an Evangelical Church um, in Berkeley, and one of the men there has this amazing gift of recitation where he will memorize large portions of scriptures and recite them. And when he does it, it's, it's amazing. It's like heaven opens up, or at least it, that's my experience. So this particular time we went up there, he was reciting from the Christmas story from, I'm sure it was Matthew and Luke. And while he was doing that, I will tell you, I went into the Christmas story. And I saw it like I was really there. And, and it, it just changed something. I, I can't say it's as fresh as it was for me, as it was happening. But I, I just pray. So I just pray today, Jesus, you would make that Christmas story fresh and new for all of us, God. The reality of you coming to earth, there was just something so charged, so important, so transformational, God. We know it was for then. We know it was for now. Jesus, we don't understand it all, but I just pray that you would just activate in all of us those, the, that prophetic unction that was there, that they looked forward into the future, wondering who is this Messiah going to be? What is it going to look like? And we're still saying that, Jesus, because we still don't know the fullness of who you are becoming in us. And I just pray, even tonight, you'd give us some fresh revelation of who you are, of who you're becoming, of what it meant that God would come to earth to dwell with us, Jesus. So thank you, Lord, that you, you've done, you did it and you are still doing it. Oh, because you love us all so much. Thank you, God. Yeah. So, which way does this go? Ah, there we go. So, um, I was kind of calling this, the, hunger will be, the hungry will be filled, because that's actually one of the prophetic words Mary had over her little baby when she first found out she was pregnant. So, we'll be getting into that. Um, but when you look at all those prophecies... About Jesus from the Old Testament, they covered all kinds of ground. They went from him being a king and the Messiah, him being the Lord, him being the Savior, but also that he was rejected, that he was broken, all these things. I mean, I can't even imagine what the Jews of old were thinking. You know, they're looking to, they're still, in fact, today, many of the the Orthodox Jews are still waiting for their Messiah. And they look at all these different scriptures, and there's, it just describes so many things about who he is. He's going to come as a child and he's going to come as a king. Yeah, how do you put all that together in your head about who he is? So Isaiah nine is one of the um, one of the significant prophetic words about the coming Messiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And of course we know the Nativity story there was this great light. And those some of them, like the kings, the wise men, were looking for that at that great light, knowing it was the significance of it. It's not clear how many people saw it, how many people thought there was a significance, but it was prophesied that a great light would come and that that great light in the sky is going to herald a great light coming to earth in the form of Messiah. Light was entering our world like never before since the time of Adam and Eve. There had been a great darkness over our world because of sin, and they were looking forward to this great light coming. The light of the world coming to earth. And I think the wise men probably knew to expect it was going to be somewhere near Bethlehem, because that was prophesied too, somewhere in Micah, that it was going to be little, lowly Bethlehem, which is, one would have expected it to maybe be Jerusalem, you know, the main, but that was the city of David. That was where David came from, was Bethlehem. So they had profi- uh, prophetic significance. We'll get into that in a little bit. And Jesus um, spoke about what it was, how significant it was that he was light. In John 8, we read that Jesus spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So not only was he the light coming out of heaven to earth, but he was going to impart that same light to us, that same light that resided between him, that flows between him and his heavenly Father. He's extended the same thing to us. That light, that truth, that that purity, that holiness is ours for the taking when we ask him in, because he resides within. And Philippians 2, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Every single one of you is a light in this world. Because just as Jesus was, so are we. That's in the scripture. It's not because we try to do it. It's not because we try and make something happen. It's because full access of head to heaven resides within you because Jesus came and said, I'll come and take up residence in you and give you that same connection I have with my father. It's yours. Years and years ago, Years, let's see, how many years ago? It would be a lot of years ago. (laughs) Uh, uh, Let me, uh, we'll say 30, 30 30-ish, 30 years ago or something like that. Kind of when I was, uh, I was a Christian, but kind of, you know, I would have been one of those Christians at the Billy Graham crusade that would always go up for a, you know, rededication because I never felt like I quite, was there. I don't know if, probably none of you were ever in that category, but I was in that kind of category of just didn't feel good, had so much shame, felt so yucky about myself, okay? So there was this one day at work, and this, this guy just says to me, and he was, he was an interesting character. He, he really had a strong belief in uh, alien abduction and things like that, so he was, he was kind of an interesting character, but I guess he was, he was spiritually looking, searching. But anyway, he came up to me. And he said, Susan, what is it about you? And I'm thinking, uh, I knew, kind of knew in the back of my mind. I think it's because he thinks I'm a Christian. But I felt so bad about myself that I couldn't say anything. Now today, I would be able to say, you know, I think you're picking up something in the spirit. I'd be be very comfortable saying that now because I have a confidence that it's not my goodness that makes anything good or right or pure about my life. It's everything is about what he's done. But I didn't have that assurance back then. So I just kind of, I don't know, (laughs) I didn't know what to say. But I know now looking back that even as oppressed as I was back then, there was still a light coming out for me. And I will say that I think one of the biggest influences in my life of getting saved was not so much what I saw in church, way back when in the day. Um, It was, I remember distinctly, two people in high school and they had light on them. I didn't know quite what it was about them because I knew there were other Christians. But these two just seemed to light up the room. I didn't know either of them very well. But I'm like, I want what they got. Whatever it is they got. They were a brother and sister. And I now know, looking back, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They, were, they just seemed to glow. I could just see their light. And I wanted that. And it just, it it put something in me that I was looking for forevermore afterwards. And looking forward, continuing into Isaiah 9. And this is actually, I think this is from the Passion Translation. Mm -hmm. What did I skip? There we go. Okay, this is farther down in chapter Isaiah uh, 9 of Isaiah. And I think the kings probably knew something about Isaiah 9 because they came to worship him, didn't they, when they came to that baby? They came with presents, uh, very valuable treasures, like we saw in our little video. <laughs> <laughs> they came to worship him. They didn't just come to see a baby. They, seemed to, they came to see their king and their lord, there will be a new time, a fresh start, hope of all hopes, dream of our dreams. A child is born, sweet-breathed. A son is given to us, a living gift. And even now, with tiny features and dewy hair, he is great. The power of leadership And the weight of authority will rest on his shoulders. His name? His name we will know in many ways. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Dear Father Everlasting, Ever-Present, Never-Failing, Master of Wholeness and Prince of Peace, his leadership will bring such prosperity as you've never seen before, sustainable peace for all time. Oops, sorry. Here we go. Oh, did I miss? Okay. oh Thank you, guys. (laughs) As you've never seen before, sustainable peace for all time. This child, God's promise to David, a throne forever among us. And I think that the kings had that in mind when they came to worship. Oh, And I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Here's the, the last part. To restore sound leadership that cannot be perverted or shaken, he will ensure justice without fail and absolute equity always. The intense passion of the internal commander of heavenly armies will carry this to completion so they were coming and looking for him now there were a lot of other people that knew these scriptures why weren't they there? I don't know I don't know I would propose to you I think that the kings were hungry they were searching, they were yearning they came to adore him, they came to worship him They came with an expectancy of he's a king, he's a prince, he's God, but they were open-handed enough that they were but it's a baby, okay? Why a baby? I don't know. God could have come any way he wanted, but they were willing to just, they wanted to just come worship. They could feel the light. They could feel that yearning within their hearts to worship and adore this king. So we're going to do a little, watch a little video now about worship. Oh the wise men came looking to Jesus on their own, right? They were, they were, they were attuned. They were aware that he was coming. They knew the light. They came looking for him. And yet the angels came to the shepherds. I thought that was very interesting. Yet the angels came and said, hey, something's really big's about to happen. And, um, you need to know about this. So I think that's kind of interesting that that happened. Um, I, I I think, I believe those same angels had been see had already seen Jesus in heaven. They're used to seeing Jesus up in heaven, with his father, being worshipped all the time. And what it must have been like for those angels seeing Jesus come to earth, going, "What the heck are you thinking? Right, you're God, and you're going to put yourself in one of those human bodies? What?" What, what is going on? I mean, the angels aren't like God. They aren't like omniscient. They don't know all things, and they can't quite see into the future, right? They're finite. Well, I guess they live forever. I don't know all the details of angels, but they're not God-like. Let me put it that way. So this must have been an amazing, amazing experience for those angels. And so they are sent to go talk to the shepherds. Yeah. And this is from Luke. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude... Oops, there we go. There it is. A multitude went past again? Stop. Okay. And suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So first there is this angel that's pretty intimidating, right? Because the first word is don't be afraid because it's I think they saw angels a lot more often back then than we're used to seeing. It's not quite like us where we're going, I think there might be an angel over there. This guy's like showing up, right? They can see him. There is an angel. And then the heavenly host shows up as if that wasn't enough. It's like the light, the sky is completely lit up with angels all over the place. Those angels were so excited about what was about to happen. Now, I think this, this piece is interesting, too. Russ showed me this YouTube by a rabbi about swaddling clothes. Now, every Christmas pageant we've ever watched has got the swaddling clothes thing in it, and we probably never think anything of it. Well, it turns out that we, all, we know the Jewish tradition that when you have a, sh- a sheep, a baby lamb that you're going to sacrifice, it needs to be perfect, right? You've got the perfect sacrifice, Well, the shepherds knew that to keep that perfect sacrifice, you wrap the lamb in swaddling clothes. So those shepherds are going to know when they see that baby in swaddling clothes. They're going to know there is something about this baby. This baby is going to be a sacrifice like we have never known. We know about those lambs. That's familiar to us. We do that traditionally. But this baby is going to be a sacrifice. We've never seen this before. And I think, I don't know, there was something about those shepherds. They got a special invite that nobody else seemed to get because I think they knew something in their heart. They knew what it meant to have sheep without a shepherd. They knew what that meant. They knew that was not a very good thing. Those sheep need shepherds. And so here was the shepherd they were coming to worship to because they knew how much people Need a shepherd, just like lambs, just like their little sheep do. And the other thing about that, um, I don't know. I don't know that much about Jewish tradition, but the firstborn is really important and really significant. Um, firstborn animal, firstborn child, very significant in Jewish culture. And even when Jesus was dedicated. It was said, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord. And I would propose to you that just as Jesus opened the womb of Mary, he also opened the womb of heaven to earth. And that will never be closed again. That access, that he, 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 because he was the firstborn, there is a special blessing that came through him to all of us. Being that firstborn child, so then we have to can't can't finish this without talking about Mary. Of course, she was one amazing lady, and there's some pretty crazy, prophetic significance about all the things that went into um, what happened with Mary. First, she, of course, has that visitation with an angel. Um, And she's like, okay, I don't know what this is going to look like, but okay, we'll go with this. Um, She and um, Joseph were in Nazareth which is something like 100 miles away from Bethlehem. And they are told this is like the first census ever. There has never been a census before. And the emperor says there's going to be a census. You all have to go to your hometowns, which for Mary and Joseph was Bethlehem. So they have to travel 100 miles, and she is like pregnant, right? She's about to give birth. That would be kind of freaky. We get a little worried about, you know, flying for a couple hours, when we're nine months pregnant in our society, and they're traveling 100 miles. Um, but here's, here's a couple more very interesting um, prophetic things. Uh, she was going to Bethlehem, and Bethlehem means house of bread. And then she ends up giving birth in a stable, and where is Jesus laid? In a feed trough. So when the angel comes to Mary, and she knows she's pregnant, and then she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, we know that story, right? Baby leaps within her, and she just knows, Jing, that's how the prophetic stuff works, doesn't it? "Jing," ah, oh, you're pregnant. Um, and then that leads Mary into this prophetic song. She just gets overwhelmed by the spirit, and she starts um, prophesying over herself and over her baby. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. I think I didn't put things in the order I meant to put them in. We'll go. Okay. We'll go. We'll skip over this. We'll get to this. Okay, there it is. Okay. Never mind. No, I'm just going to say that I'm gonna, I forgot to put these slides in. This is fine. So this is her prophecy. My soul is ecstatic, overflowing with praises to God. My spirit bursts with joy, my life-giving God. For he set his tender gaze upon me, his lowly servant girl. And from here on, everyone will know that I have been favored and blessed. The mighty one has worked a mighty miracle for me. Holy is his name. Mercy kisses all his godly lovers from one generation to the next. Mighty power flows from him to scatter all those who walk in pride. Powerful princes he tears from their thrones, and he lifts up the lowly to take their place. Those who hunger for him will always be. Be filled. This is Mary prophesying over her own baby, all who are hungry for him will always be filled. The baby that was born in the house of bread in a feed trough will be the one who's the bread of the world, who's our bread, who feeds us, who satisfies our hunger for all time. The deepest place of our heart that need to be met and nurtured and fed, he alone can fill. And all these prophetic things, God could have done it any way he wanted. He very intentionally set it up. He wanted him born in Bethlehem, in the stable, in a feed trough. At that point in time, with all these other pieces in place because they have such significance for us don't they? He's the light of our world. He is the bread we feed upon He is the one who satisfies us and fills our our emptiness So now I'm going to we'll do another video a little bit from Mary's perspective who hungry, hunger for him will always be filled. And Heidi Baker says this all the time, right? And they've had that experience of course in Mozambique seeing the great need for that. But that's a promise to each one of us in our lives. Sometimes we think the, the deep needs in our heart aren't going to be satisfied. But the hungry will always be filled it's a matter of recognizing what our hearts are really hungry for. Are they really hungry for him? Because I think a lot of people missed it way back when. They were hungry. The religious were hungry for him to come in a certain form, right? By, they had a certain idea of how he should come and what it should look like. And they, they missed it. A lot of them missed it. And a lot of people are missing it today. But we know that this is the Jesus that satisfies the deepest places of our heart. And in John 6, and Jesus says this, it is my Father who gives you the true, the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry again. Those who believe in me will never thirst. You know, Mary believed. She didn't understand. She didn't quite get it. She believed. And she was hungry for who he really was. She was willing for him to come as he really was. And and so was Joseph. So were the wise men. So were the shepherds. They believed, and they were hungry for who he really was. And I felt like the Lord was showing me tonight even that there were so many kind of almost crazy prophetic things that came into play with the birth of Jesus when he came to earth. And I believe for each one of you here, he has set up very similarly very many different prophetic things, people at the right time, situations. Sometimes we can't see them. Sometimes we look back, retro. I mean, it's very easy for us to look back retrospectively and see all this stuff going on with Jesus. They wouldn't have been able to see that all the way back when. And that's the same is true for each one of your lives. God is at work in your life right now. He's putting all kinds of pieces in place because he knows that he is the bread of life that will satisfy your every hunger and need. And I know I've done it. I've tried to you know, go off this way or that way or maybe it's what I do that's going to satisfy me or, or maybe it's enough money or enough status or enough people liking me. None of that stuff ever satisfies, does it? We're always left feeling empty. There is this mysterious, mystical, amazing way that he satisfies our heart like nothing else does. It's more a matter of us simply learning to position ourselves, isn't it? Because he's right there, pouring himself out on us. We're just learning to open up our heart and yield and make ourselves available.